Good morning, everyone. Kids, glad you are with us. Welcome to 2017. How many kids stayed up till midnight last night? Oh, I wish I was you. Uh, actually, I don't. I got to stay up and watch a new movie. I had never seen the Jason Bourne movie. It was really, really good. But man alive, 5.45 came way too soon this morning. Uh, I was not a happy camper when the uh, radio started saying, get out of bed. Uh, also, welcome to the uh, Waverly Veterans Post. This is, you like our new digs? Yeah, this is, this is great. Uh, I mean, Jeff was not trying to mislead you at all. It was interesting this morning, but we knew it would be interesting this morning. And so no one was frazzled. No one was getting mad. No one threw anything. Uh, it, was, it was actually a, a good morning. Well, other than my son. But yeah, it was, it was a good morning. Uh, things, things went well, uh, but it shows us that with new space, uh, it's... Yeah, I, I told someone this morning that it was kind of like, I felt like we were trying on new clothes and we're standing in the front of the mirror going, does this fit? You know, is this, is this right? You know, should I try a different scarf? Uh, you know, it, it, we're just trying things out. So that's why we call this a, a practice Sunday. So thanks for just putting up with our hiccups and, and everything else. And things might be a little different next week. And uh, we've still got some other equipment that we've ordered that hasn't come in yet. So you'll see a few other uh, small changes uh, next week. And especially for the 22nd as we uh, get ready there. But also, I, I just want to, you to know, please, church family, um, on your connection cards, Give feedback, all right? What can we improve? What do you see? What leaves you with questions, all right? So if there's something with the sound or the lighting or the entrance or, you know, where the food is, all right? Just write those things down. Come and talk to me or Jeff, Leanne, Linnell. I mean, just let's figure this out together as a church family because what we want to do is we want to create this as a welcoming environment because who knows what God will do. We might just continue to grow steadily. We might pause for a bit. God might bring a bunch of people all at once. We don't know what he's going to do. We just need to do what we can to be prepared for what he's going to do and be ready to welcome anyone that comes and is a part of this. Also, uh, uh, I'm going to ask you to welcome, invite people for January 22nd. That's what we're calling our grand opening. So next week, we're here. On the 15th, we're back at the Civic Center. This place was already booked for a conference. And then we come back here on the 22nd. We're calling that our grand opening. So we're hoping that a couple of weeks of practice here, we'll be ready for the 22nd. Things will go a lot smoother. And uh, we'll just be ready to welcome people. So if you're inviting friends to come and check out Riverwood, please use that connection card. Uh, not the connection card. The uh, uh, invite card that's inside. It says, come grow with us. Use that. Uh, if you want another one, there's a couple more back on the table. Take those, give those to your coworkers, to your neighbors. Just keep inviting, push people to January 22nd. Uh, and we would love to have them be a part. We're going to start a brand new series on the 22nd. We're calling it His Story, History. Uh, it's basically going to be an entire walk through the Bible through all of 2017. And so with that, a couple of things. Uh, today, I have some uh, reading plans, Bible reading plans back on the Give and Grow table. If you're someone who wants to begin a habit or continue a rhythm of reading the scriptures daily, I'm going to challenge you. Read through the whole entire Bible this year. All right, I've got two different plans. One back there is it's going to walk you through the scriptures, not uh, starting in Genesis and take you through Revelation. It, a different day of the week, you'll be in a different section of the Bible. It's a great way to kind of mix it up and keep it a little more interesting. That way you don't get stuck in the genealogies for you know an entire week. All right, it'll just be a little bit uh, throughout. Right? Pick that one up or there's a flexible plan. That way, if you are a 
overachiever, you can start marking off what chapters you've read, and you could read the whole Bible in six months if you wanted. Or if you're like most average Americans, you would use that flexible plan and read the Bible in about three years. All right? It allows you to read at whatever pace, and that way you know what you've read. You just can check off the chapters, and you know what you've read and where you can go, and then you can jump all around, go where you want to, or you can start in Genesis and work your way through Revelation. All right? So that one's also on the back table. But with that, With our history series, I'm also going to be rolling out a different Bible reading plan. I'm going to roll it out in quarters. That way, people who are new to join us, they can jump in three months in with us. And it's not going to be an every verse thing. It's going to basically try and track with the series that we go. So that the way it will hopefully work out is that you will be reading the week before at least one of the stories that we're going to look at. Because in the history series, what we're going to see is kind of an overarching view of the entire Bible— And see how all of it points to Jesus. And we're going to see that it really is his story. Right? So we're going to hopefully kind of track that. So I I still have some work to do. I don't have those ready. I'm going to roll those out January 22nd. And we'll try and have a quarterly Bible reading plan. So I I just want you to know, if you're like me, you want to start January 1st. There's a couple of plans you can pick up. But if you want to track with our history series, starting January 22nd, we'll have a new reading plan that will take you through some of the major stories of the Bible. It won't hit every verse, but we'll, we'll go through pretty much all of the scriptures, all right? Well, speaking of new series, today we start a brand new series called Values. I thought as we get ready to launch, you know, in this new uh, facility and kind of hopefully welcome some new people into our church family, I thought it'd be good for us as a church family to see what is it that we value? What is it that we are about? And so I can't help but think all this week about values. And I realized that every single business you ever have, have done business with has values. Now, some businesses, they actually will publish their values. Some, they don't. But it doesn't take long after working with that business to figure out what they value. Sometimes it's just they value your money. They don't really value you. They just want your money. All right, but the some, they really take their values seriously. And so because the kids were going to be in here, I thought it would be fun for us to look at Disneyland. Disneyland. Any kids here like Disney? Like the Disney movies? Okay, even adults are raising their hands. All right. Yes, some, many of us like Disney. Did you know that not only does Disney have values, but their theme parks have values? All right. Now, they're not up there. Don't don't put them up yet. I want to hear, does anyone have a guess? What is one of Disneyland's values? All right. Fun. Fun. That's what I thought. I thought for sure it would be fun. Do you have a different one? Safety. Safety. Was it up there on the screen? (laughs) Good job to read. Okay. Yes, I thought fun was going to be one. But as you can see on the screen, because Mike gave you all the preview, yes, safety is one of them, as well as courtesy, show, and efficiency. Now, I was shocked. Like, why isn't fun one of them? Because surely they value fun. These aren't their values for their customers, for their visitors, their guests. These are their values for their employees, Because if their employees begin to live out these values, their guests will have fun. And so you notice there's even an order to them, right? Safety is first for a reason. Because if if someone comes in and doesn't feel safe, if someone gets injured, they're not going to go home and tell people how great Disneyland was. They're going to go and tell them, yeah, I fell off the roller coaster and almost died. It's not fun. It's not safe. 
And so they wouldn't be inviting their friends to go. Disneyland wants to make money. And so they want their friends to go home and say, we had a great time. You really should go too. Because if you're having fun, you'll spend more money and you'll send more people who will spend more money. But that means you have to be safe. But it's not just businesses that have values. Kids, did you realize that your family has values? Now, they probably don't have them written down like Disney, but they have values. Now, now there's all sorts of different values. So, some families, they value experience. Like, if you suddenly find yourself with this night free, some, something was on your calendar, it got canceled, you're like, what do we do? If your family values experiences... You're going to pile into the car and you're going to go see a state park or or you're going to go visit and and do something fun. You're going to go out. But if you value quiet or rest, if you tried to pile the family into a car and take off to a state park, you would tear the family apart at the seams. Like the parents would divorce the parents. Uh, Wait, that didn't make sense. The parents would divorce the kids. Kids would divorce the parents. You know what I mean? It wouldn't go very well because they have different Values. Now, neither one's right. Neither one's better. They're just different. Families have values. But not only do families have values, you have values. Each of you have deeply held core convictions. Some of them were kind of taught to you through those family values. Some of them you're just born with. For instance, some of you might value winning. Like, you work hard. You compete. Whether it's a chess game, a football game, getting grades, it doesn't matter. You want to do your best. And so, if you get on a team with someone and they're not doing their best, it drives you nuts. Or or you have to do a school project with someone and the other person is just slacking in their work. You, You can't stand it because you have to do your best. You want to win. Others of you, you might value comfort. And so when mom or dad says, hey, can you help me with something? You don't just do it. You will find the absolute easiest way possible to get it done. You will do the minimum standard because you value comfort. And so if mom says, vacuum your room, you'll vacuum it. Forget picking up the toys that are around. You want it done as quickly as possible so you can get back to reading your comic books. Because you want to be comfortable. That's what you value. Maybe you value honesty. You you can't stand it when someone like tells you, you know, it's somewhat the truth, but it's not the full truth. I mean, that just drives you bonkers. Like the whole idea of political correctness. You just can't take it. You You just tend to be a little more blunt because you value honesty. You'd rather have it raw and authentic than to have it sugar-coated at all because you value honesty. I could go on and on and on. There are so many different things that people value. But I'm trying to help you see that businesses have values, families have values, people have values. And so it would make sense that churches also have values. Now, I I know some churches that if you went to their website, you could find their mission statement, and on that page would probably be a list of their values. But sometimes you'll see the published values, and you go and visit, and you discover a different set of values. For for instance, one one church may say that they value friendliness. Like, Like, that's really important to them. 
And they feel really friendly because when they show up to church, they see all their friends, they have a great time, they reconnect, and they walk away going, this is the friendliest church in the world. But the new person, the visitor walks in, no one greets them, no one says hello, no one shows them where the kids' room is, no one shows them where the restrooms are, no one greets them. They walk out of that church thinking, that's the unfriendliest church in the world. They said they were really friendly, but they have a different value. Because it was obvious that they didn't value new people. They just valued their friends. And to them, that was friendliness. Some churches, they do a better job of actually fulfilling their values. They'll say these are their values and they'll actually live them out. But sometimes they will have so many values that you can't even remember them. I, I worked on staff at a church one time that had 10 values. Keep in mind, I was on staff at this church. I could not even tell you what all 10 were. I mean, I tried to memorize them, but there were so many. I mean, it was like they valued everything. I think only the senior pastor, maybe two of the elders, actually knew what our values were. You could walk up to anyone else, and they would say, Oh, well, I know we, we value this and this and that. You know, they might be able to list five, but there were just too many. No one really knew what the values of the church were. So when it came to planting Riverwood... I thought very, very clearly, I mean, well, clearly, but carefully, about what is it that we should value? I, I we used to take a monthly retreat on the last Friday of each month, and I would go to the Wartburg Library, and sometimes I would spend a considerable amount of time just thinking, pondering, praying, what are our values going to be in this new church that we're starting? Because I didn't want to be like the church that listed one set of values but lived something different out. At the same time, I didn't want to be the church that had so many things that no one knew what they were. And so I just thought, God, what are the ones that that should really matter to us? Because I wanted values that would be important to me. I knew that as the primary leader, I needed to be passionate about these things. I also knew that they needed to be things that would help us be a healthy church. But I also thought, we need some values that if we lived them out, wouldn't just help us have a healthy church. It would help us in our walk with Christ. And so after time, I came up with three. That's what I settled on. Now, these are not etched in stone. We might add one later. We might change a wording. But right now, our values are grace, truth, and trust. Grace, truth, and trust. We just have three values. And we're going to take three weeks to look at each of these values, one per week. And this week, we're going to start with grace. I believe that just like Disney starts with safety, we've got to start with grace. Because grace is not better than truth or trust, but I believe that grace actually gives power to truth and trust. That when you get the grace part of this right, it helps your truth and your trust to be lived out even better. And we see God do even more effective ministry. I believe that if we get this grace thing right, it will revolutionize our relationship with God. It will revolutionize our church. It will be the type of church that not only you want to be a part of, but the new people that God might send to us that they will want to be a part of. And it will empower us to watch God do what only he can do. And it all starts with grace. And so that's why that's where we begin today. So let's pray. Father, as we jump into the scriptures today, I pray that you would be our primary teacher and communicator. Uh, pray that you would take the, the bit of preparation I've done and use it for your glory, uh, but you would use it for the benefit of those who've come 
on this New Year's Day, this January 1st, and as they think of the new year to come, that today you have strategically chosen for them to hear about this topic of grace, to sing about it, to think about it, to thank you for it, and that you would help us to see just how amazing grace is, and it would lead us to have the best year of our life ever. So that's why we ask right now that you would open our ears and our heart to what you want to say. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. To look at this topic of grace, we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 2. So if you brought a Bible or you got a Bible app on your phone, open it up to Ephesians 2. If you were like me and you'd prefer a paper copy and you don't have one, totally feel free to get up and go over to the table and pick a Bible up. I do have the scripture on the screen uh, for you. But Ephesians chapter 2, as you're turning to Ephesians, I'm just going to confess, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. There, there are several chapters I really like. I could you know, tell you about Psalm 139 or Romans 5 or Philippians 2 and yes, even Ezekiel 47, Riverwood's key passage. Uh, but this one ranks right up there. And just to let you know how much it ranks up there, the n- meaning of each of my four children's names come from Ephesians 2. Now, I'm not going to take the time to explain them all, but if you want to find my children, they're all here today, ask them, what's your verse? Because they all know, here's what my name means, here's my verse. And uh, in fact, you might see, you know, some of my children raising their hand today as we hit their verse. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to do verses 1 through 10 today. Let me read. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, uh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By, the grace, by grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, a really wise preacher would take Ephesians 2, turn this into about a four or eight week series and walk through it and help you just see how amazing this grace is. But I am foolishly going to attempt to talk about this in one week, all right? So this is a topic that needs delved in, it needs looked at. And so if you have the time, go get a book like uh, Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace? Or or Jerry Bridges has a book called Transforming Grace. I've not read that one uh, particularly, but I read several reviews this week that just just talked about how great it was. Find a book like one of these and read, study up, because grace is the foundation of our faith. And if Riverwood is going to say, we value grace and we place it first for a reason, you might want to know a little bit more of why. Today, I hope to help you see a little bit more of why. As we walk through it, I see four things about grace. Now, now, thankfully, they all start with the letter S. And so you know that this is going to be a good sermon because it alliterates, all right? 
Okay, n- not necessarily. But my, my hope is that at least one of these S's will cause you to walk out of here today just blown away by the grace of God. And it would radically set up your 2017 to be a phenomenal year because one of these S's reminds you of just how amazing God's grace is. The first S today is saved. It's through grace that we are saved. I mean, just look at verse 5, it says it, and then it says it again in verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It, It can't get any clearer than that. I mean, it's right there in your face. It's by grace you are saved. And so, if you are a follower of Jesus, it is by grace you've been saved. It's nothing that you did. It's nothing you did to impress God. It's nothing that you you did to make God go, all right, I'll let this one in. No, it is God's grace. It is all him And to make the point clear, notice the end of verse 8. He says that it's by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We just celebrated Christmas. Kids, do you have a good Christmas? Yeah. How many of you kids got gifts? Every hand should be up. If you didn't get a gift, I'm going to change that. Okay? Right? Yeah. You almost all got gifts. Now, how many of you got the gift, unwrapped it, and went, Oh, thank you, mom and dad. Okay, good. You got to make sure you say thank you. Okay, then how many of you took it, smashed it on the ground, stomped on it, broke it to pieces, threw it across the room, and then said, can I have another? Okay, you're lying. No, none of you did that. You were thankful for the gift. Now, how many of you deserved the gift you got? No, no hands should be up. If you deserved it, it wasn't a gift. A gift is not given to you because of something you did. A gift is given to you because you are loved. It was given to you out of the love of your mom and dad or your siblings or your aunt and uncle or grandma and grandpa or your friends. It was nothing that you did to get the gift. You just receive a gift. When it comes to this salvation, this being saved from our sin, being saved from an eternity separated from God— We just receive it. It comes out of God's love. And there's nothing you did to get it. But likewise, just as you don't take a gift and smash it on the ground, when you truly understand the grace of God, you don't take this gift of Jesus and then go and gladly sin. You see, some people, when they hear about grace, they're so blown away by it. They're like, you mean like I could get away with anything and God will just always love me and forgive me? Awesome! But when you realize the cost of this gift was the life of Jesus, you do not take this gift and smash it on the ground and then say, God, can I have another one? You realize how precious this is. This is God's gift to you. It was nothing you did. It's out of his love. It's out of his mercy. It's out of his grace. That right there is amazing. That right there is worth celebrating, but it doesn't stop there because it's not just through grace that you're saved. It is also through grace that you are sanctified. It is through grace you are sanctified. All right, kids, say this word, sanctification. Sanctification. All right, 
You guys just learned a nice big word that people go and spend $15,000 for a seminary degree. All right? You guys are now smarter than a fifth grader. All right? Good job. Sanctification. But you got to know what it means. Sanctification is the process of being purified, of being made holy. Or to put it in Riverwood language, sanctification is being made and restored into the image of Jesus. If if you remember, back in Genesis, Adam and Eve were told not to eat from the fruit of one particular tree, but they disobeyed. And when they disobeyed, sin entered the world. And it not only infected all of creation, it infected them. You see, God had made mankind into his image. The image of Jesus was put into Adam and Eve. But when they sinned, that image became distorted. It became marred. It became blurred. It was cracked. And so through the cross... God is actively restoring that. It's not only saving you, it is sanctifying you. You are being molded and shaped and remolded. In fact, Ephesians 2 talks about that. Look down there at verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. Workmanship. That that word workmanship, it's the Greek word poiema. Kids, say that word, poiema. Hey, very good. You guys know Greek too. Wow. Right? Poiema. The, the word poiema doesn't just mean workmanship. It can also be translated masterpiece. I, I love that. What that means is that you are God's masterpiece. God made you like a work of art. And what that means then is that not only through grace you've been saved, but through his grace, he's continuing to work to mold you and shape you and chisel you and and, and get you into that image of Jesus. And he's restoring that image within you. But, But what that means is that if God's at work, he can use anything, even the junk. On my Facebook feed, I've had all sorts of people complaining about 2016. They're saying they cannot wait for this year to be done. It has been a rough year. You know what? God is not going to let any of it go to waste. If they follow Jesus, God will use even the tough stuff that they've gone through to mold them and shape them to be more like Christ so that they will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. In fact, Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome, said that very thing. You've possibly heard the famous verse out of chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul says that God's going to use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But most of us stop right there. And and while that's true, it's not getting to the full point. Because if you continue on to verse 29, you see that Paul says, why does God use all things, even the junk of life? To conform you into the image of his son. And so that means, kids, when the really good thing happens, God can use that to help you become more like Jesus. And that's fun. But it also means that when you go through the tough stuff, when you go through something really, really hard, God has not abandoned you. He is with you because he's molding and shaping you into the image of Jesus, even through the junk. It's through God's grace that you are saved, and it is through God's grace that you are being sanctified. That right there is enough to say that grace is amazing. But it's not done. We also learn through Ephesians 2 that through grace, we are sent. Through grace, we are sent. Continue on in verse 10. It says that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. For good works. 
You see, when Jesus came to earth, he did not climb a mountain, sit at the top, cross his leg, go into some meditation, and spend all of his time in private prayer. No. When he came, he was out healing people, teaching them, feeding them. The scriptures tell us that he saw people like sheep without a shepherd, and he had mercy upon them. He loved them. He went to them. Think about it. We just celebrated Christmas. Jesus, the Son of God, leaves his throne in heaven, takes on the form of a baby, a helpless baby, laid in a feeding trough for cattle. He's wrapped up in dirty rags. His first visitors are poor shepherds. He went through all of that for you. God sent Jesus from heaven for you. And so that's why at the end of Jesus' life, after he died on the cross, rose from the dead, he, he finishes his 40 days with his disciples, and then he says, hey guys, all authority in heaven on earth has now been given to me. So therefore, go. I'm ascending you to go make disciples. And, and so we see here in Ephesians 2 that the reason we go is to do good works. Now, now don't be confused. You do not think that these good works somehow impress God. All right, make sure that you don't flip it. We've already seen it's through grace you are saved. So don't begin to think, oh, it's through your good works that you're saved. No, you do not do good works in order to be saved. You do good works because you are saved. When you realize just how amazing this grace is, that through it you've been saved, that through it you are being sanctified, you'll realize you also through it are being sent. Sent to go and be a blessing, to go and do good works. That right there is enough to celebrate. That right there is enough to show us how great grace is. But it's not done. There's one more. Through grace, we are also sustained. Through grace, we are sustained. Look at the rest of verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now, most weeks when I work on my message, I, you know that I teach from the English Standard Version most weeks. But I will read through other translations. There, there are several translations that I, I like. I, I don't like just depending on one English translation. I'm not fluent in Greek. And so I like using different translations to help me begin to understand. I, I see it like looking at a gym. You know, you can look at a diamond and, and really appreciate it. But when you really begin to appreciate it, it was as you begin to turn it. And you begin to see new colors and new cuts and new, new areas of it. And so by reading other translations, I feel like I see the gem of the scriptures and I, I start to understand it a little bit better and a little more. But when I was looking at verse 10, I noticed that most of these other translations, like the New International Version, the New Living Translation, which you can get on the, the back table, even the Net Bible, which I really, really like, they said that these are good works that you are to do, not to walk in. And so I thought, ah, uh, you know what? The good old English Standard Version, they were probably just trying to be a little more poetical. Or, or maybe they were trying to, you know, just kind of pull in some Christianese. Because, you know, we talk as Christians about your Christian walk, walking with Jesus, your spiritual walk. And I thought, you know, they're just probably pulling some of that in. But I just needed to make sure. Now, I, I already confessed, I'm not fluent in Greek. So I head over to lumina.bible.org. I recommend it to any of you. There's a Greek dictionary there. And you can hover over words. And then they will immediately show you the definition of that word. And, and not just one definition. They'll show you multiple definitions. And you can begin to even explore where is this word used in other passages so you can understand the words. 
So I hovered over the word. You know, I found it in the Net Bible. There it was, the good works that you do. So I hovered over it. I see the Greek word. I go over. I hover over it. Up pops the little box. And you know what the first definition is? Walk. And suddenly this image came to mind of walking. How many of you like hiking? Oh, I love to go hiking in the mountains. Uh, I, in fact, I, uh, one of my friends, he's planning a church up in the Twin Cities. He and his family just went to uh, Colorado over Christmas, and he just kept posting pictures on Facebook of him in the mountains hiking. I didn't like him this week. I was jealous. It was beautiful. Oh, if I could, I'd live in the mountains, and I'd go hiking every day, and man, yeah, I could sense and see God. All right? Th- like this. I love looking out these windows and seeing nature. It's one of the ways that I connect with God. Man, if you go hiking in the mountains, you start off, it's great. It's exciting. But after you get about two miles, four miles, six miles in, your legs start hurting. Your lungs start aching. What do you have to do? You got to stop. And when you stop, what's one of the first things you do? You breathe in. And that oxygen gets into your bloodstream and gets to your muscles. It helps your muscles begin to recover and recuperate so you can keep hiking. As you breathe in, that oxygen gets up to your brain so you can continue to think clearly and you know the direction you need to go. As you breathe in that oxygen just to help bring your heart rate back down and you can rest, that oxygen, it sustains you. That's what grace is to your spiritual walk. That when you are out there doing these good works, It is so easy to stop doing them out of this grace and begin to do them out of our own strength. And we do them to try and impress other people. We do them because it feels like duty. We feel them because like, you know, maybe it's to impress God still. And we kind of miss the point of the good works. And then we start getting tired. That's when we need to breathe in God's grace. And we are reminded of what it's all about. We get back to the gospel And it will rejuvenate your spiritual muscles. It will come back into your spiritual lungs. Your spiritual mind will be crystal clear again. And you'll be reminded of just how amazing grace is. And you can then keep doing good works. This is how amazing grace is. Through grace, we are saved. But that's not all. Through grace, we are sanctified. But that's not all. Through grace... We are sent. But even that's not all. Through grace, we are also sustained. You know what's amazing about grace? Is that even this is not the totality of grace. Like, looking at these four things, it's mind-blowing to me. And yet, this isn't even it. It's like we've thrown a stone and we've skipped it across the water. The power of grace comes when we not only see these things, we begin to plumb deep. Because when you think about it, through grace, your relationship with God is revolutionized. You've been saved. God is actively sanctifying you. He is sending you to work through you. And now he is sustaining you. As you head into 2017, if you're feeling tired at all spiritually, come back to grace And let God be that source for you. May you realize that you're saved, you're sanctified, you're sent, and you're sustained. 
But even that's not all. Kids, how many of you have a brother or sister? Problem is, I know all of you kids, so your hands should all be up. Okay, all of you have a brother or sister. Okay, hands down. How many of you have ever had your brother or sister do something that makes you mad or sad? Okay, if your hand's not up, you're not being truthful. Okay, yeah, pretty much all of you. Your brother, your sister, they've made you mad. They've said hurtful words. They've taken your toy, and you've lost it with them. If you don't forgive them, if you stay angry at them, your relationship with them is broken. Because you're not going to want to hang out with them. You're not going to want to play a game. You're not going to trust them. When they ask you for something, you're not going to want to give it. Your relationship with them is broken. The only way to fix the relationship is to give your brother or sister grace. And when you give them grace, guess what just happened? You just saved the relationship. And not only saved it, you just strengthened it. And not only did you strengthen it, you just did something good for them. It was like you were being sent to them. And not only that, you just set it up that your relationship would go on and on and on by giving them grace. My brother is a, was a stereotypical redhead. Which means he lost his temper pretty much every day of his life until he was probably 12. I, I, I can't tell you how many times he and I got into fights and arguments. My parents are here today. You can ask them. They thought my brother and I would grow up hating each other. Right? Now, I will admit, I instigated a lot of it. I loved to pull pranks on him. I knew exactly the words to say. I could prod and poke him. And he probably lost his temper a lot because of me. But the thing is, I did like to fight. I, I was a little stronger because I was older. I, I could beat him, but I, I didn't like it because he had no fear. He didn't mind getting hurt. And so he would come at me with a fury that scared me. So I became really accomplished at locking myself in the bathroom. <laughs> I can tell you, I could get that door shut and locked in like 0.3 nanoseconds. All right? I was a master at it. And yet, my brother, if he was here today, I could give him a huge hug I love my brother. He is an awesome guy. In fact, he and his wife have helped support Riverwood financially, prayerfully. They gave to our new campaign. That's the awesomeness of my brother. And the reason we have the relationship we have is because he was willing to give me grace and I was willing to give him grace. Grace doesn't just revolutionize your relationship with God. Grace will revolutionize your relationship with others. So kids... If you want to have a relationship like I have with my brother, you are going to have to give grace. And when your moms and dads make you mad, you're going to have to give them grace. Moms and dads, when your kids make you irate, you're going to have to give them grace. If you want to have the type of marriage that I believe you really want, grace. If you want to see your coworkers have great relationships, grace. If you want to see 2017 a phenomenal year of relationships, it isn't just in your relationship with God. Grace is also powerful in your relationship with others. And if we are going to be the type of church that God calls us to be, it means we have to give grace to one another as well as to anyone new who walks in those doors on a Sunday morning. Because we don't know who God might send us. You might see the person. They may walk in in a tie. They may be driving in in a Cadillac or a Lincoln. You may be thinking, this person's got it all together. 
And inside, they're wrestling with an addiction. You may see someone walk in. Their clothes don't look the best. You find out they live in a trailer park. They don't have a great job. Maybe they're unemployed. We give them grace. It doesn't matter who they are, what condition they're in. Everyone needs grace from us and from Jesus. And so we're going to give it. We're going to lead with grace. Now, don't mishear me. It does not mean that when they walk in and we find out their mess, go, ah, no big deal. Doesn't matter. God doesn't care. No. We've got to apply truth. This is why at Riverwood we say we lead with grace, but we lean on truth. But the reason we don't lead with truth is that a church that says, oh, it's all about truth. When they find out the addiction, they say, well, go clean up your act before you come back. And that's missing the point. Jesus did not come to earth and say, all right, I'm here. You guys get it all together, and then I'll die for you. No, Romans 5 says that while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were even enemies of God, Christ died for us. He led with grace. So we will lead with grace in those relationships. And even if we find out they're wrestling with an addiction, we give them grace because when we look at our own lives, we realize we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. But if God can give us grace, then we can give them grace. And that's when we put the hand around them and we say, let's do this together. Because the truth says that addiction's killing them. It's ruining them. To have an addiction means you're setting up that addiction as your God. But if you're going to be like Jesus, the Father needs to be your primary objective. So to put God first in your life, you got to get rid of the addiction. So we've got to lean on truth. But to help them get there, we've got to lead with grace. Because they aren't going to care what we know until they know how much we care. This is why we have to live out grace. It will help us to be the church that God's called us to be. To be the type of church that our community needs. And it happens when we first ourselves realize the power of God's grace. And let it revolutionize our relationship with him. And when we realize that it is through grace we are saved, it's through grace we are being sanctified, it's through grace we are sent, and then it's through grace that we are sustained. It causes us to want to go and to do these good works, to give grace to others, and we will watch God revolutionize their lives. So that's why in 2017, I ask you, I implore you, I encourage you, value grace. Father, I just pray that you would help us to do this. It's one thing to preach it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. God, please do not let Riverwood be the type of church that has a list of values and yet we do something different. God, I pray that this would be the truth of who we are, that your grace, which has changed our lives, would also change the lives of those in our community. God, I pray for anyone that's here today and their life has not been impacted by grace. They, they hear about it. They know the word. It's not a reality to them. I pray that today, on January 1st, 2017, you would change their life, open their eyes to the power of grace, and let them receive this gift. And that it would change their 2017 and beyond. And God, there are people in our community that do not know about this grace. Some of them you're going to send to us. Some of them you're going to send us to them. And Father, as we interact with them, would you help us to lead with grace? That your grace would pervade everything that we do and say. 
But for us to give that type of grace, we've got to understand your grace towards us. So Father, help us to just bask in the glory of your grace, to celebrate it, to thank you for it, to be overwhelmed by it. May you just do an incredible work in us because of your grace so that you can then do a great work through us by giving your grace. Father, for this to happen, though, it needs to be a work of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that just every person in this room, no matter what their age, no matter what their background, no matter what their spiritual journey is, right now you would just be calling them to go deeper with you, to trust you, and to rest in your grace. I pray that this morning is like a breath of fresh air, that your spiritual oxygen gets into us and our muscles are rejuvenated, our brain is clearer, and we are ready to go to do these good works in 2017 for your glory and our joy. So may it happen now as we sing. May it happen as we pray. May may that oxygen just come into us as we partake of communion. May you just flood us with your grace with your power so that we can go and be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.